my name is Ben Montgomery, and I do help with Boys Kid Zone here at Ridgeview. And as Joel said, Pastor Alex is in Alhambra. Now, we have a sister church, Church in the Valley, Alhambra, and they're celebrating their 10-year anniversary today, and we're really excited for that milestone for them. And actually, for me and my wife, Lori, they've been a huge part of our lives. We were part of that church until we came to Ridgeview, and we have mentors and friends there that go back even further And we would not be who we are today if it weren't for them. So it's with a lot of gratitude that uh, we'll be able to go out this afternoon. They're doing an afternoon celebration as well. We're going to join in on that. We're really uh, looking forward to that. And then Pastor Alex will be back next week as we launch a new sermon series. So that's something to look forward to as well. Today, we're wrapping up our current series, which is called Our Imperfect Family. You got a little marketing thing there, somebody's idea of some super happy, perfect family maybe? I don't know. It doesn't look like my family. Um, Have you ever come to church and thought to yourself, wow, everyone around here, they've got it all together. This is, these people kind of are perfect. You ever, maybe today, right? I mean, that family over there, they've got it all together. I mean, so perfect. They probably never argue. We were arguing in the car five minutes ago, right? I promise you, nobody around you. None of the families around you are perfect. Okay, we're all just doing what makes sense to us, which actually does not lead to perfection, right? Now, speaking of definitely not perfect, I'd like to introduce my family. I got a picture here. Uh, just in case you haven't met us yet, we're talking about family in this series. Here we are. Uh, it's my wife, Lori, in the middle. This was at Ridgeview for Mother's Day a few weeks back. And uh, we have, let's see, we got Elijah. He's four. And we got Asher, who is six. We got James, who is nine. Ellie is 12, and Josh is 14. And then I'm supposed to insert a hilarious joke about how the next one is 27 and the next one is 29, but you get the idea, right? We are, uh, we're not perfect, but we're really glad to be here. We look forward to meeting you if we haven't already. And uh, we could talk about glasses and laser eye surgery and that sort of thing. It's a family, family theme. I was talking to somebody about it recently. I was like, oh, that sounds good. Do they do like a family discount? Because we could, we could get in on that probably. Before we jump into today's topic, I'd like to take a quick look back at where we've been so far in this series. If you missed anything, that's okay. You can get these online, on demand, no subscriptions, no ads, just the content you love at the price you can afford, all right? We launched the series asking, what's the point? What is the point of family? Did God make them for a purpose? Yes. Does he want families to learn to team together to do his will on the earth? Does he want families and together our church family to raise up the next generation to follow him? Yes. Those are all yeses. And then the next week we looked at teaming together. Why is teaming together in marriage hard? Well, because we're all naturally selfish. So we end up in power struggles, right? We think We deserve better than others. At some level, we think it. We try not to, but that's the natural thing. Oh, this, whatever this is, not everybody's going to get this, but I should get it, right? And then at some level, again, we're willing to hurt people to get what we want. I don't want to hurt you, but if you get in the way, you're an obstacle to me, I might hurt you. That's just what we bring naturally to our relationships, and so we have trouble. We have to unlearn all that. We have to choose the opposite of that, and we can only do that with God's help. Two weeks ago, the topic was parenting. It's more than just survival, believe it or not. It feels like it's so much of the time for parents. You guys can relate, right? 
But Alex and Sam shared about how crucial it is for us to actively train our children. They will get training somewhere. Will it be from you? All right? We need to set the example. This is how we walk with God. This is what it looks like to trust God, to obey him. And then we need to explain why we do what we do. If we don't do this, they'll follow a different example. They will take someone else's explanations. There's a lot of destructive nonsense out there. So it really is a sober duty to raise our kids, to put in the effort. So the question then is, what kind of example will we set? And another one would be, how much are we willing to sacrifice in order to help our children gain hearts of wisdom? Shifting to last week, what's the atmosphere in our homes? We want our kids to be able to learn the right things. We need to create an atmosphere where that can happen. Are we speaking the truth in love, or is the atmosphere messed up by pretending, game-playing, harsh words? Here's a question. How does it feel to be someone else in my family? Does our family environment allow us to grow? That's the main thing there. So that all leads up to today where we're wrapping up the series by asking, how does God want us to deal with trouble? How do we weather the storms? Nobody likes trouble, but raise your hand if you've ever had any. It's okay. It's okay to raise your hand. We know, right? Everybody. So there you go. We have to figure out how to deal with it, both for ourselves, on our own, and then for our families. There's all kinds of trouble. Some of you may have heard me talk about my gardening problems. Uh, There have been hard times. I have killed a lot of avocado trees. Okay? Rest in peace. Reed, the first. Fuerte, the first. Hass, the first. Reed, Jr. Hass, Jr. Hass, the third. It's terrible. It's terrible. We went to Home Depot the other day, and I looked over and was like, whoa, avocado trees. And I, they probably didn't, but it sort of seemed like maybe those trees just all kind of inched back a little bit. When they saw me, it hasn't been good. I don't have much of a track record there. But right now, the problem's not with trees, it's with my seedlings. I'm trying to grow some garden plants, right? Some veggies, those kind of things. And the seedlings keep sprouting and then disappearing. What's happening? Something's eating them, right? But what? I couldn't figure out what it was for all. And finally, I caught them in the act, went over there and looked, saw it, and it was pill bugs, roly polies. I had never heard of that. These pill bugs are going wild on the veggies. And I always thought they were cute. No, these guys are animals. They're, they're literally animals, but they're, they're animals. They, I did not plant seeds in the garden thinking, hey, next week I'll be thinking about how to get rid of pill bugs. That'll be a good investment, right? No, but here I am. You know, I got pill bugs on my mind, and I'm dealing with this sort of vague feeling of annoyance. That's one little tiny trouble. Now, it's all relative. If I had bed bugs on my mind, I'd be dealing with a very specific feeling of rage because I really hate bed bugs. Now, that helps keep things in perspective. And then, of course, you know, we all know that we go through much worse things than those silly examples, right? I think we all get this topic of suffering and trouble more. I think we understand it better as we get older. We just, we've just had more of it, right? When I was younger, nobody's problems seemed very real except my own. Well, I, they seem real, right? But everybody else, you know, honestly, I would say that there were some hard things in my life, some really hard things, but on the whole, it was really good. It was really kind of trouble-free, hashtag so blessed, right? And so I just didn't see the world as a place where there were a lot of people going through a lot of suffering. But now it's 
different. Now it hits home more. Maybe it's the same for you. It feels like it's easier to see. You know, our kids make decisions that break their parents' hearts. I never noticed that when I was a kid. Kids, please don't do that, right? <laughs> Sickness and death. Family members who should be loving and supporting one another, they can't even go to the same events, right? It's just too hard, too much drama. Or they can't have a civil conversation. These are real things happening to pretty much all of us, right? All around us. And so I'm seeing it a little bit more, I feel like, but even though it seems a little bit clearer, there's still this part of me that gets totally caught off guard when something bad happens to me, especially if it's big. Has that ever happened to you? It's like, well, why is this happening? Maybe this could happen to somebody else, but not me. At some level, I'm asking that question, and it's just a trap, this expectation that life will be trouble-free. It's a trap. You know, it's unrealistic expectations. It's kind of like, you know, your trash can in Fontana on a windy trash day. When stuff's getting knocked over. It's getting scattered around. Those are your unrealistic expectations, and it's a lot to clean up. Now, here's a life hack for dealing with trouble, and it's not really a hack because I think you guys know it. You just have to recognize it as a normal part of life. We got to figure out how to make our expectations a little more realistic, right? Trouble is a normal part of life. Now, that's a fill-in-the-blank on your notes. If you would like to take notes, that's provided for you. It's helpful. You'll remember more that way. If you already filled in trouble is my middle name, you could keep that. That's fine. People like me who would think to do that, we have our reasons, right? So you can do the notes personal for you. Trouble is a normal part of life. Moses, who you guys may have heard of, very famous in the Old Testament, led the, led the Israelites out of slavery, was a very humble man, really lived a life connected with God in a way that few others in all of history have. He wrote about this trouble in a song he wrote, and it's actually Psalm 90. Look at verse 10. It says, our lives last 70 years, or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. How cheerful is that, right? But he had a perspective from his life with God. Even the best of them are sorrow and struggle. Indeed, they pass away quickly, and we fly away. And Jesus said the same thing, too, to his students in John chapter 16. In this world, you will have trouble. I take that as a message for us, too. And we're going to look at that more later. We're going to look at the context of that. In this world, you will have trouble. But for now, let's look at another place in the Bible. Same message, same reminder. The book of Job. Look at chapter 5. Job 5, 7. Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Have you been born? Then you will experience trouble. Do the sparks burrow into the ground? Do they shoot out sideways? They float up. It's natural. And trouble for you and me is natural. Now, this verse from one of the most ancient stories in the Bible. That's pretty cool. In fact, if you haven't read the book of Job, I highly recommend it, especially if you're thinking about trouble. In this book, at the beginning of the book, the book describes how God is talking to some of his angels, and he says, have you ever seen Job? Here's a man who really is blameless and upright, who fears me and shuns evil. Now, Satan's there, and Satan says, well, of course he fears you. You made him rich, gave him everything he wanted. You put protection around him so he never has problems. I bet if you took all that away, he'd curse you. And God says he wouldn't. And then God allowed Satan to attack Job. Who had trouble in their life? Yes, Job did. Job allowed him to attack, uh, God allowed Satan to attack Job 
Job had 10 kids. They all died on the same day. Terrible tragedy. His retirement plan, destroyed by thieves. He had a 401 camel, 3,000 shares. They're all gone, right? Oxen and donkeys, not one left to his name. Almost his entire staff was murdered. The thieves came, killed all his people, took all his stuff. Except for one, his sheep, the Bible describes that fire came down and burned them up. Was it lightning? I, I don't know. But on that day, messenger after messenger came in. and basically said to Job, I'm the only one who survived this. This is what happened. After all of this, and he heard about the death of his children last, after all this trouble that flew upward just as naturally as sparks floating up into the sky, this was Job's response. We see this in chapter 1. At this, Job got up, and he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, signs of grief, signs of anguish. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. I came with nothing, literally nothing, and naked I will depart. doesn't matter what you bury me with. I can't take any of it with me, right? The Lord gave. Everything I have is from him. The Lord has taken away. God's in charge of all of this. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. I don't think there's like a day in my life when I've done a good job thinking like that. That's a breathtaking perspective, right? I hope we can become the kind of people who more and more respond to our trouble that way, right? The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job reminds us that trouble's normal in life. Okay, so the world's a mess. We get it. And everybody's going to have trouble. That's not very encouraging. What do we do about it? Let's take a look at Proverbs 14, 26. But I want to warn you, this is very direct. Oh, I'm thinking of a different verse from Proverbs. I jumped ahead. Let's look at this one. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. The question is, what does it mean to fear the Lord? I, I, I've always thought that was kind of strange. Like, parents are, kids are not supposed to be afraid of their parents, Right? And God's our heavenly father. So what's happening here? Like fear of the Lord. Now, you may already know this, but if you don't, I really want to explain it because it's so important for what we're talking about today. The fear of the Lord is different from terror. This fear is not terror. It's more like a reverent awe. You see how incredibly awesome God is, and then you realize there's nothing to do except obey him. There's nothing to do except trust I saw a news article recently about a sunspot, a little spot in the sun. People watch for these things, and the spot might turn into a storm. But it's just a spot, just a little article about it. But it was four times the size of Earth, a little dot on the sun. Now, God made the whole Earth. I don't know about you, but I've not gone all around the Earth. It's enormous. He made all of it, everything we experience because of his creation there. And then the sun he made so big that a little dot on it it's like four Earths put together. And then, of course, you know, you could pull back further and get galaxies. And you see little dots, and you're like, which one's the sun? Like, no, that's not even the sun. That's a galaxy pulling back farther and farther, looking at God's creation. So I think when we have that perspective, we can live in reverent awe. And what comes with reverent awe? Obedience. That is the fortress. That's the protection. That's the shelter. Fear the Lord, taking him seriously enough to obey him. Now imagine 
Here's a, here's a picture. Imagine you and I were in a castle, really cool castle, never been to one like it before, and it offers complete protection. There's people inside, they're protected. But the people in there are talking about the problems like the enemies on the outside. You know, outside, there's enemy soldiers. There's wolves, right? It's all kinds of things. I think I saw a zombie out there. There's orcs. There's dementors, right? Yes, that's right. It's all out there. But inside the castle, we're safe. But then you and I, we say, well, honestly, we got problems in here sometimes. So we're leaving. We're going outside the castle. We'll figure that out. We got a better way. Okay, that, that's like a picture of abandoning the fear of the Lord. We think we know better than God. We make things so much worse for ourselves. Let's not do that. Trouble is normal. It comes to all of us. But breaking through the guardrails of life, off the road of the fear of the Lord, breaking through the guardrails of life, God's, way of, God's ways of living always, always, always leads to wreckage. Now, we're talking about family life, and this verse gives such great advice for parents. The fear of the Lord as we set the example and as we train our kids to obey God in reverent awe. Also, it's a shelter for our children. We want our children to be safe. We want them to have good lives. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children, it will be a refuge. God wants parents to provide a shelter in the storms. Storms come. God wants parents to provide a shelter for their children. And as a church family, we can provide that for one another's children also. How does, what does that look like? We can't keep our kids from ever experiencing trouble in life. They're going to experience it. But we can provide a safe place where they can learn step by step how to deal with it. So first, we need to offer steady encouragement. This is hard, but it's normal. I wish you didn't have to face this, but it is normal, and you will get through it. Or maybe you say, it's, it's not fun. I know what you're dealing with right now. It's not fun. I wish you didn't have to. But God will help you as you face this. He wants to walk through this with you. Or maybe you say, believe it or not, God wants to use this that you hate right now to grow something really strong and beautiful in you. Let me offer that kind of perspective, that kind of encouragement to our children as they move into the chaotic, messy, diseased, broken, dysfunctional world that we live in. Okay, we also want to offer caution and coaching. Help our kids identify foolish responses. I know you're like super upset about what's going on right now, but I promise you, if you do that, you can make it worse. Okay? And show them when it's a foolish tendency. Help them to see what the Bible would consider foolish, what the Bible would consider wise. Help them to grow in wisdom. We can remind them again that life outside the guardrails means more trouble, not less. As we help our kids to understand and choose the fear of the Lord, we're building a shelter for them that offers huge, tremendous protection. And we can also help our kids understand what's God doing through this? How is he going to make something strong and beautiful in me, even though right now I just feel terrible? God uses trouble to train his children. Let's look at Hebrews 12, 7 through 11. This is a little bit of a longer passage, but it's worth it. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children, not true sons. 
Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Okay, now, you may be younger, and you may think, they did not know best. My parents did some stuff that they never should have done. They made some huge mistakes. And that's probably true. We're all, we're all broken, right? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. They just hopefully did the best they could. But God disciplines us for our good, always for our good. Cooperate with God, it will be for your good in the middle of discipline, in the middle of hard things. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. You agree, right? We agree, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now I plant my little beet seeds, radish seeds, whatever. The harvest takes a long time. Right now, it's taking a really long time, right? It just takes time. So endure hardship as discipline. As we follow God, he uses our hardships to train us the way good parents train their children. The results are so worth it. But I'm not going to tell you it's easy along the way, right? We, we know it's not. You think of a world-class athlete, you don't imagine somebody training by, like, laying on the couch with their hand in a bag of chips, right? That's not how you become a world-class athlete. And steel, you don't forge steel on a pottery wheel, right? Get some iron on there, spin it around, let some cool water trickle down, kind of work your hands. No, it's not like that at all. Steel becomes what it is by enduring incredible heat and incredible pressure. And then it becomes something that stands the test of time. So, What troubles have you faced in your life? And looking back, do you see them as experiences that God has used for your good? In my own life, there have been some really difficult things, uh, worse than pests in the garden. I'd like to share a little bit about some hard seasons in my life, not to be, you know, melodramatic. I actually hope it's encouraging. I just want to emphasize that we face real problems. Uh, There's seasons to life, some harder than others, and one hard one for me and my family as I was growing up started when I was about seven years old. I'm the oldest in my family, and at the time I had two uh, younger sisters, and then another sister was born, Sarah. I've been hoping for a brother for a long time. That's a different story. Had another sister, Sarah, was born. We were all excited, but then she was really sick right after she was born. She had spinal meningitis, as it turned out. She was in the hospital for a long time. really kind of agonizing for my mom, um, well, for, for everybody, but especially for my mom, who was there at the hospital with her. Um, but then she was able to come home, and everything seemed better. But she didn't eat very well, and she's very small and weak for her age. That's a, like a enduring memory for me. It's just always feeling like, wow, she, she's this old now? She seems so much younger. Even at like eight years old, I could see that it was different, right? Uh, Just before she turned one year old, the doctors discovered that she was in heart failure. Uh, It was separate from the earlier meningitis. She'd been born with heart defects that had gone unnoticed, and she died the day after Christmas that year. She's just a little over a year old. My parents were in their early 30s at the time, so they were much younger than I am now. And I just 
can't imagine what that would be like. I can only imagine what it must have been like for them. And then for me, it's complicated. I would never, ever want that to happen to one of my kids and for my kids to have to deal with that with a sibling. But at the same time, God has really used it in my, in my life for good. And that was just part of the season. That was the most awful part for sure, but there were other things happening too. And this is my parents in their early 30s trying to figure out how to weather the storms. Uh, the church community that my parents had helped lead uh, collapsed, just kind of slowly died off. This is very painful for them, very personal. And then a little while later, we were encouraged to take a longer vacation because uh, some, some really good friends, and it was good advice, said, you know, you should take a longer vacation if you can. I think it would be refreshing, hopefully it would be comforting and healing. So we went on this vacation, and while we were there, my, my younger brother, I did get a brother. He was born after Sarah died, and he was just a toddler. And in this completely bizarre freak accident, he was attacked by a dog and nearly lost his eye. He's okay. He really likes animals, uh, but he has scars right above his eye, right below, and it was very traumatic in the middle of this, you know, vacation. So I just, I think about that now. I'm so grateful for my parents, and I praise God for the way he equipped them through his power, through his grace. They would say that too, to navigate through that as, as you know, best they could. Um. There were two other really difficult seasons that came to mind as I was thinking about families facing trouble. I won't go into a lot of detail, uh, but about 13 years ago, my wife, Lori, and I experienced the first of three miscarriages. When you look at our... When you look at our family picture, it's everything I ever wanted, but it's also different because of those miscarriages. And if you've experienced that, you know what I mean, the timing of children born later and that kind of thing. So during the first of those, I was also doing a terrible job. You've heard me joke about this maybe uh, at a commission-only sales job. It was bad. So we had like major financial problems, very stressful, and I felt like a failure with a lot of shame uh, on top of the grief. Um, We'll get into this more later, but I, I realized I had no idea how many people I knew had experienced miscarriages until we did, and people started saying, you know what, we've been through that, and that was really hard. We're going to look at that a little bit more later. Um, An image came to my mind during that time of me trying to do a push-up. Now, I can barely do a push-up in real life, and in this picture, I'm trying to do a push-up, and God is, like, pushing down on me, making it harder to get back up, Okay. And somehow in this picture, I, I'm like completely convinced that God's for me. He's not against me, even though he's pushing down. And what he's trying to do is train me to be able to endure more than I think I can. I would say that in your life, that's probably true as well. And it's like that passage from Hebrews 12, discipline seems painful at the time, but produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. And going along with that, at the same time with all this going on, a wise mentor told me, You know, people will be watching how you handle this. And what he meant was if you choose to patiently endure, if you trust God to come through, then it will encourage the people around you and it will glorify God. I don't don't really know how good of a job we did of that, but I do know God really came through for us. 
the third season is much more recent. In fact, we like to thank our Ridgeview family for walking through it with us. A lot of this message is about turning to God to get the help we need, not try to figure out our troubles on our own. And I'd like to just add to that, that the community of believers who are trying to walk with God together is a huge part of that. And Ridgeview family, we're so thankful for you because uh, this, this has been happening recently. For, first of all, we've had some financial stresses over the past year. I always hate that. I hate it so much. Um, but, you know, I also know it's really nothing compared to what a lot of families face with finances, especially right now. Uh, one stupid element to our money storm is that the catalytic converter on our car, some of you know this, it's been stolen three times the past year. So that's three deductibles we weren't planning on, plus all the aggravation. I mean, if I talk about it too long, I'm going to get that specific feeling of rage again, right? And the, the great punchline is that the van, our other vehicle, flipped a code. Uh-oh, it's not going to pass the smog test. It's the catalytic converter. <laughs> It's not stolen, but it's messed up, and we're probably going to have to get that replaced. So, and if you know what cataclean is, it hasn't worked so far. We're going to keep trying. We're going to pray. But that's, that's some of our, our money stuff. Uh, but that's really small. That's trivial. God provides for us again and again. He has again recently. We're learning how to, in ba- with baby steps, trust him, even with all this kind of stuff. The real storm, as some of you know, is that my wife, Lori's mom, passed away pretty suddenly about six months ago. Uh, You can never prepare for that. I know some of you have have faced that, too. That was really, that is really hard. Her mom's mom passed away pretty suddenly a few months after that. So it's just grief after grief. Uh, Both of them, one small silver lining to it is just thinking about their lives, celebrating them. And both of them are such testimonies to God's goodness. You could see how God changed them. You could see how God used them. And what an amazing blessing they've been to us and to our kids. Really both left a legacy. So we're really thankful for them. And I'm really proud of Lori and encouraged by how she's endured this. But it's been really hard. Really hard. Now, take a deep breath. I, I want to say really clearly, we're sharing these things with you today. I asked her about sharing these things, right? We're sharing them because, not because we think our troubles are somehow out of the ordinary. They're not. Not because we should have extra sympathy somehow, but just to say that the struggles of your life, the struggles of my life, they are real, right? Now everybody's got stories because everybody's walking through a world that brings suffering. You Something may be coming to your mind right now. It probably is, right? Or you might be experiencing it right now. It might be coming to your mind right now because you have to deal with it as soon as you walk out of these doors. And there's something really important to remember as we face these things, both for ourselves, individually, and for our families. God does want to use the trouble in our life for good, and so we've got to be careful. Don't short-circuit the process. Don't short-circuit it for yourself. Don't short-circuit it for your kids. Look at Romans 5, 3 and 4. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, is that appealing to you? I don't know. Well, he keeps going. Perseverance produces character. Uh, Okay, maybe. Character, hope. Now, who here suffers? And the first thing you think is, what a joy. 
I got problems. It's a joy. We don't usually think like that, right? And who starts their day? You know, today I would like to experience something that will help me to grow in perseverance. That's my goal for the day. No, we don't think like that. But who wants hope that would never let them down? Yeah, that's the catch. It's like Paul. Paul wrote the book of Romans. It's like he's saying that the hope we really want doesn't come easily. It costs us. But the flip side of that is that when we suffer, we persevere through the suffering, we are gaining that hope. And so we can rejoice. Now, a lot of time we don't persevere when we suffer. We just want the pain to stop. We figure out something to make it stop. We got different tactics for this, right? Maybe, maybe if we deny it, it will go away. There's this like major issue in our marriage. I'm just going to kind of pretend that it's not a thing, right? Or there's something in this, some other relationship. We, we can just pretend everything's fine. It doesn't work for the big problems, right? Maybe we try to get relief in all those addictive ways that just cause way more damage, right? Drugs, alcohol, sex, screens. Do you know you could be addicted to your screens? I think we're getting there, right? We're kind of starting to realize that, but we, I'm still looking at my screen, right? I would rather, when I have trouble, honestly, I would rather play a video game. In a video game, I can level up. In a video game, I get another life. I get a lot of new lives, right? It's addictive. It's an escape mechanism, and it doesn't solve your problem. Depending on the circumstances, another tactic might be to just quit. I'm done. I'm done with this person. You're done. I'm trading you in. I'll find somebody else over here or a job. Oh, man, I've worked for so many idiots. Every one of my bosses has been an idiot. I'm quitting, right? Well, you know, there's a, a phrase, wherever we go, there we are. So there may be something more to that, right? But we try to trade things in, and it just, none of these tactics work in the long run. They're tempting when we're in the middle of pain, but they do not strengthen our perseverance. They do not grow our character. And so the hope, remember we raised our hands, that hope that we really want, it's unavailable. Then, to make things worse, the next time trouble comes, you just repeat the cycle. You still got suffering, just as hard. Still have to face it. But it's wasted. It's just suffering. Nothing good about it. No redemptive value. You can just do that over and over and over again if you short-circuit God's process. Now, as a parent, when we rescue our kids, we pull them out too fast, we help them cultivate these messed-up tactics, these worldly tactics, then we're short-circuiting God's training in their lives. This is very easy for me to forget, and maybe for you as well. Our kids belong to God. They've been entrusted to us, and that's a beautiful stewardship. But they belong to God. God's invested in them even more than you are, even more than I am. And he wants to train them through the trouble. In this broken, crippled world that's going to have trouble for sure. He wants to redeem that by training them through it. So the question is, Will we help or will we get in the way as he tries to train them? We tend to want to fix things for kids, right? Relieve their stress as soon as possible. And for little guys, little, the little ones, that's appropriate, right? You know, maybe you just, you're literally picking them up and removing them from the situation. But my kids don't really appreciate that anymore. Maybe not even the four-year-old, right? It's just as kids grow older, the problems that they face don't get fixed as easily. 
You know why they don't get fixed as easily? Because they like involve people. If you're in a problem with people who are not interested in making things better, what do you do? What does a six-year-old do with a teacher that comes across as kind of mean, right? What does a 12-year-old do with a class where they feel like everybody's a bully? You can't go in and tell the teacher to change everything they're doing, right, and expect results. You can't do that. There's things you can do. You need to, you know, you need to be wise with protecting your kids, but little by little, they have to learn how to face these struggles, right? They take, these problems take endurance. They take patience, and we want our kids to have those qualities, right? Nobody's thinking, man, you know, I hope, I hope when my kids grow up, they're like super impatient, and little things kind of knock them off their game. That's a goal for my kids. That's, that's what I want for them. We never think that way, right? But it takes a lot of work and effort and thought, and it takes God's wisdom to actually kind of get them where we do want them. Um, you know, resolving problems in godly ways takes time, and sometimes it's just unfixable. Here's an example. When I was in junior high, I, was, I joined a soccer team, and I was the least experienced, probably, on the team. I was the least skilled, definitely, on the team. And it was junior high, and the kids... You ever heard that phrase, like a school in the summertime? No class. They were very cruel, and I was very unhappy, right? And it wasn't a situation that my mom could fix for me. She dropped me off. She knew I didn't want to be there. I told her, right? And she'd encourage me to hang in there. She wasn't going to go in there and yell at a bunch of, you know, 13-year-olds, you be nice to my boy. Right? He's a good kid. I don't know why you're picking on him. You need to stop that. Like, that's, I, I wouldn't have wanted it. I don't think it would have worked, right? She couldn't solve it for me. Now, around the same time, I was taking piano lessons, and I didn't like piano lessons either. It was different. Nobody was picking on me. I just had my own issues, probably a combination of laziness and other stuff, but I just didn't want to do piano or soccer, and I wanted to quit. And in the end, my mom let me quit piano, and she did not let me quit soccer. Now, let me tell you, if anybody here has a time machine, and I could borrow that, my mom and I would like to go back and talk to our younger selves and explain the way more fully to them because we both really regret that we handled it that way. The unfixable soccer situation developed character in me. A couple years later, I was still playing with those guys. It was much better. The character building that I could have had through piano was short-circuited, was wasted. And Plus, I can't play piano. I really wish I could. You go up, this is ridiculous, you go up to the piano and you take a deep breath, get ready to play, and then here's your, here's your song. That's like, you know, the, eff- the result of my effort, right? Now, over time, children need to learn more and more how to resolve their problems themselves, Right? As their parents or as they're in church life, as their church aunties and uncles, we all work on this together. We need to communicate to them that we're on their side and that God is on their side. We are for them. God is for them. Their hurts matter to us. We need to encourage them in that, and we need to work with them. And again, it's work. It, is, it doesn't come naturally. It doesn't happen when you're sitting on the couch watching TV. 
doesn't happen just because I'm walking around and all the great ideas popping in my head. It takes work to learn from the Bible, help them learn from the Bible how God wants them to respond to trouble. How does God want them to treat the people involved? How does God want them to pray? These are things that take a lot of work and a lot of coaching. I don't know about you, but I'm not that interested in hard work a lot of time. But that's what it takes to get our kids where we want them to be, what we long for them to become. Now, here's a really important point. If we just go along with our culture's standards for handling trouble, the world, got a lot of ideas, they're available, they're even pushed in our faces a lot, right? If we do that and we say, well, you know, just do what you saw on TV. We, don't, we wouldn't say that, but we would communicate that one way or another, maybe by our example. If we do that, we're teaching our kids that the Bible is not about real life. And yet it is. The Bible is practical for all areas of life. When we grow in it, we, have, we start to experience the best kind of life as we turn to see what God says and we choose to do it. But it's easy to communicate to kids, oh yeah, you know, this is just something we kind of talk about. So-and-so is here, so let's, let's say something churchy, right? Or when you go to Sunday school, if you say Jesus, right, as your answer, you might be right half the time, right? That's just like, Jesus, little kid's calling it out. It's like, okay, well, I was just asking you what your name was, right? To, to communicate to our kids that the Bible is just not, it's maybe true in some ways separate from the way we live our lives, but it's not real. That's a terrible disservice to our kids. That's going to cause tremendous damage. So let's be really careful not to do that. So I'm going to turn a corner here. What does the Bible say about dealing with trouble? It says a lot of very practical things. We can make the most of the trouble that we face for me, for my family, for you, for your family, as we do these things. First of all, we want to receive and then offer comfort from God himself. I, I was referring to this earlier. I mean, look at this verse. It's so helpful when we wonder why we suffer. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Have you experienced mercy? It's from him. The God of all comfort. Have you experienced any comfort ever? God is the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that, why do we even have this affliction and have to be comforted so that, we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So 13 years ago, that's what happened. We actually experienced that too. That was really hard. I'll be praying for you, right? And I hope that we can each become the kind of person who extends that as we experience God's comfort, right? No one can comfort like God can, the God of all comfort. What will it look like in our lives to do that, to turn to him in our pain and then share our comfort with those who are suffering in the ways that we understand from personal experience? Your deep pain can, be some, can become someone else's deep comfort. And that's a very beautiful thing. That's taking something terrible and turning it into something good. God wants to do that. And that's one good outcome of trouble, assuming that we're following God. We have to be following God to experience this, right? Another one, another way we can make the most of our suffering is by learning to appreciate the outcome of trouble. So you, it's hard to like think, oh, this is great. This is a joy. I'm having trouble. But the outcome, as we learn to appreciate that, that really helps us along the way. 
Look at James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, whenever, anytime, every time, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work. It takes a while. The harvest takes a while. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We talked about this earlier, and it's worth repeating. For the things that really matter in life, we have to be able to persevere. We just have to. You want good family life? You want good relationships that last? You want your finances to go well? You want your career to go well? All of those things take perseverance. We have to become the kind of people who can endure patiently. Is there a magic potion for that? No. It takes time. Time dealing with hard things. And that's how we will become more and more mature and complete. Being thankful along the way really helps. We also, in order to make the most of the trouble we're facing, need to grow in wisdom and humility. This is the verse earlier I jumped ahead and was like, this speaks very directly. Uh, Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in himself is a fool. Nobody wants to be called a fool, right? But have you ever trusted in yourself? I mean, I'm doing that all the time. It's very unusual for my first response to be, let me ask God about this, right? Usually, I'm thinking, oh, what do I need to do to solve this? How can I fix this? I, I can do it, right? But when I trust in myself, the Bible's not going to pretend anything other than I'm a fool. He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. There's that refuge again. The fear of the Lord is a secure fortress, a refuge. Walking in wisdom is a refuge. They are interconnected. Wisdom and humility allow us to ask the right questions. But we don't like these questions, right? They could be really uncomfortable. Right? They could be scary. I mean, you think about that guy again. Ah, every one of my bosses has been a knucklehead. Well, the question might be, why does this keep happening? Is it something I'm doing? And if I keep having issues with my boss or my spouse or my kids, is it all them or is it part of it me? What do I need to change? Um, and if I, ask, if I ask that question, then maybe I should change. It's uncomfortable, right? What do I need to change? And there's other ones too. Who can I ask for advice? Uh, there was a time in my life when I just thought, why would I, why would I invite somebody in? to speak into my life. That's too personal. That just seems kind of weird. But actually, the Bible's like really, really, really clear. We should be asking for advice all the time. So who would I ask for advice? And the person I ask, do they have an established pattern of the results that I want? Or is this just somebody who's going to sort of say what I want to hear? That's an uncomfortable question. Am I willing to be honest with them? to seriously consider their input. Another one, am I asking God for help? Like, kind of like we just talked about. Well, it's not my first instinct. Am I willing to do things his way, even if it's hard? Am I willing to spend the time it takes? It does take time in the Bible to understand his instructions to me. You might have like, oh, I, I think I heard that. It's probably from the Bible. But no, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the time little by little, day by day, to understand what the Bible is saying, right? 
Now, in Deuteronomy 8, 16, there's a verse that also speaks to humility. He gave you manna in the desert to eat. I think this is Moses talking to Israelites. He's saying, you remember all the things God did for you. And remember the manna? It was this stuff that appeared on the ground, and they ate it as food. It was the way God provided for them in a miraculous way for decades. It's incredible. Now, of course, after a while, they didn't really like it. So they had attitude problems, and there's stories about that. You should read all that. It's very fascinating. But here's the verse. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, a brand new thing for you. And he did it to humble and to test you so that in the end, there's the key phrase, in the end, it might go well with you. Israelites had to choose to trust God for this manna that he was providing, this food. And they had to choose gratitude for it even when they didn't like it. They got tired of it. And it was a humbling test. None of you can provide for yourselves. Every day you'll get up and you'll watch me provide. None of you get to choose what you eat. It's a humbling test, but God wanted it to lead to their well-being. Now, the phrase in the end leads to our final point today. We're around in the corner, approaching the finish line. You've, hang, you've hung in there. Thank you. Here we go. We need to cultivate an eternal perspective. If we look at 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. If anything really difficult has come to your mind as I've been talking, I encourage you to just soak these words in right now. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You have troubles? It's like Paul is saying, they're light, they're momentary. They'll be gone, but they're achieving an eternal glory. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, our troubles. We see them every day. We wake up to them. We struggle with them. We fix our eyes not on that, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If we can fix our eyes on that, if we can help our children fix their eyes on the eternal, as we face troubles, we will not lose heart. We'll be able to endure, and the steel will be forged. I mentioned earlier that Jesus told his disciples that they would have trouble in the world and that I feel like that's a message for all of us. In this world, we're going to have trouble. But let's take a look at John 16 as we finish up today. Got two translations. Let's look at this first one. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He's telling them all these things to disciples. Things are going to be changing. I'm going to be gone soon. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. That doesn't sound like peace, right? But then he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now let's go to this amplified classic edition where they're adding extra words and doing some interesting things with the formatting to try to just pull out more of the meaning from the original language. This is really cool. I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration, but be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident, certain, undaunted, for I've overcome the world. And now listen to this. I have deprived it of its power to harm you and have conquered it for you. 
Jesus has overcome. He calls us to follow him, to obey him in everything, and he offers us his perfect peace. So let's live with that in mind. Let's teach our children to live their lives that way. And as we do that, the suffering of life is not wasted. It's transformed into strength of character, opportunities to comfort others, and eternal glory. We have some next steps today. We try to have next steps every week. I'd like to invite the band to come on up and we'll look at these. You may want to memorize a verse from the sermon today. These verses, as we store them up in our hearts, they're protection for us, right? They're like gifts we can give away. They're like tools to help us with our problems. They're like weapons to defend ourselves. Another thing you might consider is to seek God's perspective on a current struggle. Maybe that's been a sort of a vague thing. Oh, I kind of prayed about it, but not really. I didn't look in the Bible to see what God may be saying about it. Maybe God's convicting you of that right now, and there's something specific that you could turn to him in. And definitely would love it if everybody came back for the new sermon series next week. It's going to be really good. Tagline is finding rest in a restless world. This world, I mean, you guys, we've all, we're all experiencing it. It's a mess, right? We feel like we're running on empty. So how are we going to deal with all of that? God, God wants to help us with that. Those are troubles, too, that he wants to work through with us. Really appreciate you guys. I'm glad we're here together this morning. Let's pray together, and then we'll continue with our service. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your great kindness to us. We thank you for allowing us to be here safe, together, focused on you. There's a new week coming with all that it brings, and I know that could be really stressful for me, and I'm sure everyone here can relate to that. Please help us to have the humility to turn to you in the middle of those troubles so they're not wasted. None of us really want to have the same problems over and over again and not make progress. So please help us with that. Help us to trust you and obey you. And then help our kids to do that and to extend that to the people around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.